a very special bonus episode of It's a Musical podcast, where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and then we talk about them. And this is a musical we didn't think we would be doing. If you listened to our last episode, which dropped on Monday, we covered The Phantom of the Opera. And at the very end of the episode, I said, Drew, are you going to subject me to Love Never Dies? And you <laughs> said, not a chance. Why? it's terrible. Well, you said because there's no way of getting a hold of it. Yeah. I didn't think we would find a way to watch it. Never in a million years did I think the week after he's just allowed Universal to air Phantom of the Opera, would Andrew Lloyd Webber say, oh, yeah, yeah, here, have Love Never Dies. Yeah. We saw the tweet announcing it, and I thought, right, well, I know what we're doing Friday night. And lo and behold, second week in a row, we delve into the world of the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. So we've already watched it, unlike previous episodes where we talk about what we know. It's kind of a, a moot point because we've talked, I know nothing about Love Never Dies, and you've touched mm-hmm. on a few plot points. So we thought, we'll go straight into it. We are literally just going to talk about it and how we feel about it. Yeah. I haven't seen Love Never Dies since it was released. See, this is the thing. I looked at, you know, looked at the profile whilst we were watching it. Mm. The fact is, like, this has got some resonance because the version that we saw was the Australian tour. Yep. And the actress portraying Meg played Meg in The Phantom of the Opera before this, so she's mm-hmm. got a history with the character. Ben Lewis has gone on from playing the Phantom in Love Never Dies yep. here in 2012 in Australia to actually playing the Phantom of the Opera in the Phantom of the Opera, Mm -hmm. in London. Yeah. So there's elements of this where there's been success. Yeah. Well, and the version... So the version of Phantom of the Opera that we watched in Monday's podcast was the Ramin Karimlu and Sierra Burgess one. They also went on from Phantom to play the Phantom and Christine in Love Never Dies. Which is nice continuity that you don't think you'll usually get in a musical. No. You know, if there's a Book of Mormon sequel, do you really think it's Josh Gad's coming back to play, you know, Elder Cunningham no. at this point? But also, the real question with this is, why would you make a musical sequel on stage? Especially when, as Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber has said... It's a standalone. You don't need to have seen the first one. Yes, and I posed this question to you before we watched the film. As it was starting, the Love Never Dies recording, I said, just so you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber says that you don't need to have seen Phantom of the Opera to understand this show. Do you think that's true? I think arguably... Yes. You think you would understand 100% all of the characters? No, I wouldn't understand everything. I wouldn't understand everything. I think you could watch this and still follow the plot. Right. However, a lot of the fine-tuning doesn't make sense. There's a lot of these characters you don't understand. You would never understand why the Phantom is so obsessed with this girl. No, you wouldn't, but you just understand that there's a pre-existing relationship between them. Yeah. However, I think... It, it really is irrelevant to have watched the first one because actually it's a retcon. Mm-hmm. You might as well have not watched the first one because so many things have changed. Either Andrew Lloyd Webber has completely forgotten key plot points or forgotten timelines, or he's just chosen to ignore them. I think he's chosen to ignore them. It's yeah. essentially fan fiction. Yes. I think he wrote Phantom of the Opera and it became really, really famous and he didn't think it would be. And then he looked back on it at some point and thought... Why did I have Christine end up with Raoul? 
I'm going to have her actually secretly be in love with the Phantom the entire time. And one of the things I said while we were watching it was, this musical is the equivalent to J.K. Rowling tweeting things about Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, anything that you update outside of the original source material is... Fan fiction. Well, it's like, Breaking Dawn, isn't it? Where he's written this as a fan of his own work and he's not made the right choices creatively. Yeah. He's become too obsessed with giving characters maybe different, happier endings. Who knows? It's not a happy ending. It's not a happy ending. <laughs> the, the biggest thing is right from the get-go, this is now 1905. Yes, 1907. 1907. Okay, yeah. so it's six years past the original. Yes. But it's very, very established throughout. It's only been 10 years. Yeah. Gustav is 10 years old. Mm-hmm. It's been 10 years since this whole fiasco with the Phantom. Mm-hmm. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, it's not. And that's really frustrating. I, I cannot stand it when continuity is forgotten. I looked it up as well, and there's no... He's never given a reason for it. No, it, it makes no it's sense. It's just, oh, this one is set 10 years after... For plot reasons. Well, the plot reasons of Gustav. Yeah, Gustav. But also, I want it to be set in 1907 because it's set in Coney Island. And Coney Island maybe didn't exist at that point. I don't know the history of it. Most of it didn't exist. So, there's no good reason to to actually do it. There's no, like, definitive retcon. No. You know, it's... It's just done, and that frustrates me. When, when a franchise doesn't have continuity, it really, really annoys me. This... It, it's it's on par because it's a big deal. This is like doing Jurassic World three, mm-hmm. and they make it that Ian Malcolm never went to the second island for the Lost World, or yeah. if they were to wreck on that whole end set piece where the T Rex goes to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That it's on. None par. of that was real. Yeah, yeah, it's on par. This this is really big for their world, and it just there's a, there's a few other things he does that the continuity's off in this and I don't like and it's not Andrew Lloyd's fault it's creative fault yeah so one of the first things I've written down is sort of a point I thought of when we were watching Phantom but also comes more into light in Love Never Dies because we're subjected to Meg for such a long time yeah she's treated and dressed like a little girl yeah and I've always wondered how old Meg is supposed to be. Because in the first one, I would assume she is between the ages of 14 and 16. So she's 24, 26 here. Right. And they're still dressing her up like a little girl. Yeah. And she has this little girl voice where she... I don't know whether that's a choice, but every version of Meg I've ever seen has this little, like, sweet, girly voice. And it's... Do you know what? It's quite nice that her character gets a lot more fleshing out. But also really sad because her mother clearly isn't that invested. There's times in where her. I wonder if her mum pimped her out to the Phantom. She 100 percent did. Yeah. So Meg mentions right at the end of the show, but it's sort of buried. You get the idea of it throughout that Meg is a burlesque dancer, but like a sort of sideshow burlesque dancer. Yeah. And you get mentions of the fact that she may have also been a prostitute. Yeah, and I do what I definitely think Madame Jury has definitely pimped out her daughter to get her ahead. Yeah. Um, they want the Phantom to love Meg. Yes, exactly. And she Meg is the Phantom's distraction from Christine. Yeah. And 
it and just yeah, it's a very weird he set up this whole plot yeah. to get Christine to Manhattan and to Coney Island, which also Andrew Lloyd Webber clearly has some sort of issue with Oscar Hammerstein. Yeah, <laughs> it's Oscar Hammerstein the first, not Oscar Hammerstein. Rogers were they related though? Yes. Okay, cool. So there's there's historical basis here, which is quite interesting. Then which is why it's so weird. With, yeah, he's tried to. It's, it's always weird. I like it when you have real world, but with these monster fantastical elements in. Like that's really interesting. Mm. But but also it's really strange because. Basically, the plot is Oscar Hammerstein the first has invited Christine to New York, who is to a sing sensation because she's this hit opera singer, which we'll touch on that later. Yes. And when they get there, the Phantom outbids Oscar Hammerstein, so Christine goes and sings for him instead. Now, if you had just made up a name of a person and been like, "Oh yeah, this fantastic opera house owner." Bob has invited Christine over to sing in America. Yeah. It would have been exactly the same. Exactly. There's no need to have his name there, Bar World Building. But... Yeah. And maybe that Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted yeah. to name drop him. Yeah. And it's very interesting. I don't like... So it's a big deal in The Phantom of the Opera that we learn his backstory. He was treated atrociously as a sideshow act. Yes. He is now here... With a, a range of Batman villains. He runs what he calls a freak show. Yes. He's, that he's is become, his term. Yeah, and he has become what he, you know, the, the people that helped mould him and create him. Mm-hmm. And that's really off to me. Yeah. It's not good character building. He's gone back on everything that he should be. You know, One he, of the things that I wrote down as well is that, like, he, he has all of his freaks in his freak show yeah and who have the same character development as they do in the greatest showman exactly the same amount of character development yeah so he has a dwarf that is dressed up as a jester and he has and she was very good she was great she was one of the more interesting characters yeah and then he has these glass boxes with some of his freaks in them and one of them is a guy with super long nails which really good costume one of them's a tattooed man yeah one is a mermaid. And one was a fairy. And one was a fairy on a swing. Which is weird. And she has fangs, which is a choice. But also, you've got these people in these cages. Like, one of the men in, in the glass box has an extra set of arms. And I'm assuming that we're supposed to understand that he actually has these extra arms. Unless and it's like P.T. Barnum taking well, creative liberties and sewing things on. Exactly. And... I didn't understand why he would then have a mermaid who's clearly fake and a fairy who is yeah. wearing like plastic wings. I think the re- only reason I really like this carnival element to it is because the set was brilliant. It shows the decline, mm. I think, of the Phantom without um, from Christine. Opera House yeah, down to, to Coney Island. Island and show. you know the aesthetic is great. It's very Tim Burton, like the two giant mask puppets. Very much looked like Tim Burton. They really reminded me of the. Um, I don't know who did the the costume no. design for this, but they really reminded me of the uh, you know in Wicked when they're in they go to Oz for the day yes. and they've got the two little Oz dudes yeah. that run around. Yeah. That's what it you know you me had of. Beetlejuice wheeling on the monkey from the first film, but this time the monkey was an actor inside it. That made no reference, but just a kind of oh yeah, look, there's the Easter monkey egg. with the symbols. It was yeah. really really weird. I know the Regent Theatre is not the Royal Albert Hall, right? 
but the set overall is really poor in comparison. Now, there are some lovely set pieces, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I like the bit with the mirrors and all the, f- the freaks, quote-unquote, inside them. That was really and cool. And the opening with the kind of carnival tent. Mm-hmm. But the sets are atrocious. So this is the thing, and you haven't seen the, the London stage one. No. You've just seen the And Royal yes, Apple. I know, this is the Royal Abbey, which is a bigger deal. Right. And... But even the set that they made for the Royal Albert Hall is just a bigger version of the London stage set. That's the thing. Which, the size of the theatre in London is maybe twice the size of the theatre in this version, which is in Australia. The actual stage is very, very thin, but quite deep. Yeah. Which... You would think they would then use, but everything happens downstage, like down centre stage. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. If you know you've got a small theatre that's that's very thin and confined, but you know you can have quite a lot of set in the background, why wouldn't you use it? Yeah. Um, I don't know, just I found it very strange. And I think this is the thing. We've tried to and Phantom is very long. This one, not so much, you know, the overall... So, Act 1 was only one hour, five minutes, and Act 2 was 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. The, the first one, there was a lot of character building, and even the side characters mattered. Realistically, the only characters that matter here are Meg, Gustav, the Phantom, Christine, and, to an extent, Raoul. Raoul and M- Madame Giri, I would say, are secondary That's characters. what I mean, they are very secondary. Raoul, everything good about the character, whatever... Oh, my God. I wasn't a fan of him. Mm-hmm. I actually can say his name now and remember his name now. But I wasn't a fan of him. <laughs> yeah, I was calling like, him Edward for yeah. the entire... But my opinion was he existed just as a kind of MacGuffin to kind of... Mm-hmm. He was a, an escape mechanism. Yeah, he's in a catalyst to prompt the Phantom's rage. Yeah. But even then, you kind of felt he did like Christine. There was some kind of... There's nothing good about him. And I saw your notes. He's a dick. Yeah, I don't know that we're ever told why, though, because he goes from the end of Phantom, where he he isn't her saviour, she saves him at the end of Phantom, but going from, oh, okay, I get to be with the love of my life now, we'll, be, we'll live happily ever after, to gambles away within ten years, has had a child with her, which must have happened very, very shortly after the end of Phantom, gambles away all of their money, and yeah. is now an alcoholic... And I understand that, like, Christine clearly has, like, leftover trauma from the events of Phantom, and he must have too. But again, events that have been completely different, are completely different yeah. than what were presented. Because, yeah, we don't get is the any Phantom's child. Yeah. Like you said to me, and, and that's either. So that, he, he that's like her. the twist. Yeah. Is yeah. that it's. It's, it's either the Phantom has raped her, but by the sounds of it and the way they sing, they knew fair well it was consensual. Mm. So they sing the worst song in the show, which is basically just the Phantom and Christine shouting back and forth at each other, and I kissed you, and I held you, and I touched you, and, and I, I felt you. And I loved you. This is beneath the moonless sky. Yeah. And I hate it. They're right. And do you know what the problem with that song was? It sounds it's like the least consensual sounding consent ever. What it is is it's that time when you romanticise your past partners. It's kind of like maybe you've been single for a very long time, and you're at that point where you reminisce and you long for someone that you know was wrong for you, but because maybe you've not yet moved on to someone else. Yeah, exactly. And this but is what then... it is. She's reminiscing about this previous love. 
because Raoul is such a dick. But this is the thing. If we understand that Christine and the Phantom did sleep together and it resulted in Christine getting pregnant, but she was terrified of him and was traumatised by everything that happened. She then has the child and gets to live happily ever after with her duke. And, oh my God, like... <sighs> and how quickly do they get married after the events of Phantom? If I'm they, assuming if immediately. To, yeah, exactly. Must, which potentially, for that timeline, it is true. She's not even a good mother. I feel like, Christine, anything good about her is gone in this play. Mm. You know, she's not a good mother. She's not particularly... <laughs> at least the one good thing you can say about Christine from Phantom is that... Yes, she is very naive, and yes, she is very hard done by and treated very badly and doesn't really do anything about it. But when it comes to it, she is very, very strong. And she's not here. She's kind of just a get... She just exists. I One of my favourite moments here, and it's a total... It's just a mess up by the actors, but it's a small moment that I loved. Oh, my God, she pinches him. She pinches him, gets him in the eye, and he looks at her and then... Gives it a beat and then he rubs his eyes. Yeah, and so she goes to sort of do like a motherly nose pinch, and instead of pinching the tip of his nose, she pinches the bridge. Yeah. In between his eyes, and she gets him. And he rubs his eyes, and then he immediately sings, "Look with your heart and not with your eyes." And I think because he's blind. Mm. The weird little ornament he got as well was was because music was supposed to come out of it. Oh, we I didn't, didn't hear, hear anything. anything. I didn't hear anything. And you were saying it should be a reprise of... I assumed that if this... So he gets a music box with a little jester sitting on the top of it. And it's not a music box. It's like a little crystal ball. It's a crystal ball yeah. with cogs inside. Weird, you wind it, it up. Yeah. It was, it's like a musical snow globe almost. Mm. Is the most... And it comes to life on its own as well. Yeah. And I would assume that it was playing Masquerade. Yeah. Because that's what the monkey played, and that's clearly what it's supposed to be. I don't know why they wouldn't just have him find the monkey. I think that would be a cool... That would have been a better reference. Yeah. But on the version we watched, I, we honestly... I couldn't hear any music. Yeah, and it's... it's and like, I turned it right up, and there was nothing. And we were kind of... We were trying to keep track, because I asked you, is there any music references to the last one? And you're like, I couldn't remember. I... Before we talk about that, let's go through the rest of the plot because I want to talk about the okay, music fair. on its own because it made me angry. <laughs> so, so this is the thing. Talk about that we get to once upon another time, and I'm just thinking the plot's going by so fast. There's been no real development, no real explanation. I looked my watch. At this so the version we watch is the version that's on YouTube. It started at seven o'clock, and I looked at my watch at eight o'clock and thought this cannot have been an well, hour. At eight o five, it was the interval. What would yeah. be the interval? I can't, it seemed to jump so quickly. Yeah, are we really supposed to now be musical. on board with their love? Yeah. Given everything that's happened, are we supposed to just assume, fine, go for it? Oh, here's something I've written down for this part of the plot. For Christine to have actually had the Phantom's Child, so we understand Gustav is the Phantom's Child. Yes. For her to Only pass Only because it off, he's got this musical talent that couldn't possibly have come from her or her dad. We'll talk about that too. <laughs> but for her to... Raoul must know that Gustav is not his son because for her to pass it off as his son, mm. they would have had to have slept together immediately after Phantom of the Opera. I think he only believes Gustav is his son because they dress exactly the same. 
He was dressed in exactly the same yeah. suit. I never know. I don't um, know about that. We do get. I mean, this is it. It's so. It's, it's just it, like it's, a weird. It's such basic storytelling in this mm-hmm. that he comes out and goes, "Mum, I'm scared. I had this dream with someone." I will say that kid is a very good yeah, actor. The kid, the kid was, he was, great. Fantastic. The kid was fantastic, and his singing voice was gorgeous. And I'm not critiquing the actors because they can only work with what they've got. True. However, in terms of storytelling 101, Mum, mm. I had this scary dream that I was going to get drowned by a bad woman. Well, I know what the ending is. See, I didn't even. I've never thought about that. I've seen this before, obviously, but I completely forgot that. I that mean, was a thing. tell me, did I did I write that down in my notes, like as it happened? That's true. You it, did write that down. It's, it's storytelling one on one. If something, it's it is, and it's it just doesn't work. So then the phantom appears. Yep. And he goes back to being a dick by threatening Christine. This is one thing that I will say about the music before we come to a whole yeah. section talking about that is that when the doors open and the phantom arrives, the music goes, bum, as if it's going to also be followed by yeah. bum, 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 and it's not. And I was so well, angry. We do, we do actually get... At, no, you, so don't, you don't get any... You don't get a version of phantom. We don't get a proper version, but we get reference. There was elements to the musical tune of it, at least maybe but me with my poor music. No, but we get elements of the... Do, 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 do. No, you don't. It sounded like it to me when she's presented with his work. It sounded like it. No, it's a different. That's what, it's different part. enough, but it sounds similar. It's supposed to represent that music, but it's not. But like he, it's it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. You can use it as much as you want. But do you it's think yours. that's a Ben Elton thing? I don't know. Because Ben um, Elton's a good, a, you know, he worked on We Will Rock You. Amongst other things, he's yeah. he's an established musical personality. Mm-hmm. The Phantom basically says, "You're going to sing for me in my show." Sing I... for me, but it's not, not quite as fun. As that. No, he says he will double whatever money Oscar Hammerstein the first has offered, and he she can't said... say no because if she says no, he'll kidnap her son. Yes, it's blackmail. So either way, like, and this I mean, is, I know that's his thing. Do you not just way love his deal, but... right? Because he's made up this whole Hammerstein deal. He could just say, "I'll give you fifty pounds more than what he's offering you." He could have said anything. He could have said anything. I'll give you yeah. ten dollars more. Um, I think the point is that Raoul is in so much debt that any amount of money will sway her at this point. Yeah, exactly. And this is it. She's only doing this now. She's being pimped out by Raoul, mm. and it's just more that makes me think he's he's horrible, and I, I dislike him even more than I did. Christine and Meg reunited. And I do like this song. And um, when they recognise each other, the lyrics are quite fun to that. Like the My opening, friend, yeah. yeah. The opening to the song there is really nice. It's cute. And it's cute that they... Because they were best friends. They grew up together. Yeah. And <laughs> they trained together and they lived together. And then what happens at the end of Phantom? Meg drops off the face of the earth, apparently. And Christine gets on with her life. But presumably this is where the bond between... Meg, her mother, and the Phantom started. Yes. I think Meg's only in this because of that ending there. If Meg wasn't the person who who found the Phantom's mask at the end, I don't think Meg would fact. I think speaking to a different family. So what Madame Jury says at the beginning of Love Love Never Dies is that Meg found the mask, except she didn't. Hmm. Meg found the Phantom, and Madame Jury came after her, and they convinced him to leave with them. And then Meg gave the people the mask and was like, look, we'll never find him. And then they get him away. And they're the ones that got him out of there, which is why they feel like... I think he Madame Jury feels like he owes them. See, I just think 
you should have cut their characters completely. There's no need to have had them. Just have it be a completely different group that are then annoyed when this phantom has betrayed them. Mm-hmm. I don't. I like this song, so I'm glad that they did keep yeah, the characters it was cute. there, but it makes no sense. But and obviously, is... this is where the song makes it. You know, if you if you haven't already figured out that the the, the Hammerstein deal was never a real thing, this is the song that explicitly says it. And Madame Jiri sets up the issues between Christine and Raoul. She says explicitly to him, you know what's going on. It's not Hammerstein, yeah. it's him. And you think she'll follow you? I don't think she will. She's seduced by his hypnotic mm-hmm. song and sets up the, the, the powers. But in all the hollabaloo, the Phantom of the Opera abducts Gustav. Well, Gustav is... Oh, oh, oh. No, it's the um, the circus dudes. Well, the circus dudes, yeah. Gustav is removed from this area and we get beautiful. Yeah. And this establishes I'm... who the daddy is with the subtlety of a brick to the face. Oh, my God. There's, it literally, there's no tension. It's immediately revealed within 30 seconds of mm-hmm. the meeting. And I cannot wait to have a 10-year-old and sing... Like the Phantom of the Opera He's does. I cannot it was amazing. wait um, to wake my ch- children up on their 10th birthdays. So, this is a like point that. you've just made. The Phantom realizes how much Gustav is like him. Yeah. But he's only referring at this point to musical talent. Mm-hmm. Christine is a singer, an opera singer. She's classically trained by the Phantom, but she's a classically trained opera singer. And her father was a violinist who was very famous and prolific. Yeah. It's yeah. a very weird exchange between the It's a very weird exchange. And but then we get that Gustav enjoys the dark and the uh like the mystery of yeah. Coney Island. Because he's probably been raised in like really high society. High society. Yeah. And this is exciting for him. Yeah. This is him going to the other side. I really, you know, we get beauty underneath and it's got real meat-like vibes to it. It's very rock opera. Yeah. And I feel like this is the most Ben Elton. Like, this is very We Will Rock You, I think. And I really liked this one. And then <laughs> Gustav accidentally removes the wig. Yeah. Which is my, my next plot point of continuity that I don't like. And this isn't Andrew Lloyd Webber's fault by any stretch. Mm-hmm. When the phantoms, obviously the first time his, his mask is removed, his, his wig stays the same. His wig stays on. Yeah. But then the second time, the wig oh, and the mask... Oh, when he comes on stage. Yeah. For, yeah. The, for the finale of Phantom, the, the wig and the mask are attached together. They're kind of one and the same. I think in the... So you can kind of see... I don't actually know whether it's mentioned... No, it's not. So in in the context of the the actual making of the show yeah the mask that the phantom wears has a wire that goes around the back of your head yeah and it sits on top of the wig so that when the mask is pulled off on its own it doesn't disturb anything yeah when she takes off the mask and the wig she grabs the wig and it it comes with the mask because it's pulling the wire yeah so i think that's what's supposed to have happened i don't know it just upset me it was i'm sure that there are wigs you know i'm sure that there's no logic to me here but just in the first one his wig coming off awesome in the mask it's a shame that didn't happen and it just was weird continuity and that's not andrew lloyd webber's fault that's set that's costume but within this song we get you know the song is really cool i love the beat to it and this is one of my favorite set pieces with the mirrors with all the freaks in. Hmm. The freaks, quote, yeah. unquote. Um, 
Menagerie. Yeah. Madame Giri is frustrated. She's been disregarded. That's not cool. And it was in this song, before we go to the interval, that I really thought the way she was selling what her and Meg had done, I was like, you've pimped out your daughter to the Phantom. Yeah. You definitely... I don't know whether they ever mention whether Meg has actually been pimped out to the Phantom no. or whether she just is sort of under his control. But I do think there's a very weird relationship dynamic between them at the end. It does suggest maybe there's been something there that wasn't there before. And that's it, curtains down, I'm thinking. Except... Blimey. It's not curtains down. Well, the, version the version that we, we watched, yeah, it's curtains they cut down. the interval. And I've noticed this at many other points, and I put this down, but the editing on this version is weird. They've definitely cut out transitions... Mm-hmm. from one scene to the next and for me that's jarring I think we all know that when we go see a play or a musical there's going to be scenes like that we accept it and I'd rather see them I yeah. think you know because there's moments where it just feels like there's a good 30 second minute that have gone we just jump we get a jump cut to something else it was most noticeable before the devil takes the hindmost quartet I didn't like that song no but that's later on I'm going to say that about everything but I particularly dislike that I just think that phrase is really clunky. We'll talk, well, we're going to talk about that song in a moment. We get yeah. Raoul acting the victim at the bar. Mm. Why does she love me? Was this song an attempt to get us to like Raoul again? We're supposed to feel sympathy for him, however... He's talking about how he's been a bad husband and he's got regrets, but is it too little too late? Kind of, because he... Yeah. It gets him into... My favourite bit of instant karma I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not scared of the phantom. And then he's behind him straight away, which was so funny. And he jumps back in total terror. Yeah, and it's great. It's like scrappy dude. But it's, I thought it was really funny that the he sat in a bar and there's a bartender <laughs> who's wearing a waistcoat with a white shirt and a black tie. Yeah. And then where the phantom appears, he's also behind the bar. The bartender's gone. <laughs> and the phantom is wearing a black waistcoat, a black cravat and a white shirt. Which and I, I was love. just like... If Andrew Lloyd Webber ever does a third one, I want it to be the phantom of the opera bar and <laughs> have him just work the bar before shows. I did like... In that song, he references a mask that Raoul references a mask he wears, and that's quite nice because obviously, Phantom is famously masked. We get a weird bit where Meg comes to Raoul, yeah, and it's like she's gonna steal Raoul, and it feels like it's setting up a plot point where Raoul is gonna leave Christine for her. Mm. The first thing I said was like, "Oh God, you've just sung this whole song about how your wife." doesn't like you don't deserve your wife yeah. don't cheat on her now and yeah meg is like you've got to go for your safety it's like you're not care you don't care about their safety you want your spotlight that's all yeah. it is well uh, this is the thing as well that i've written this down a couple of times meg is clearly in some sort of love with the phantom oh yeah and it's obviously very unhealthy it's the same love that the phantom has for christine it's hero worship yeah and obviously i'm not saying that the phantom worships Christina as, as his hero but it's mm. more what she represents and I think for Meg the Phantom represents fame fortune and appreciation that she's never received from anyone it's not even her mother yeah. this is the thing um, and we'll talk about it in a moment she sings a really awful song I hated Bathing Beauty that was my least favourite song yeah 
and she goes out like, Mama, are you proud of me? And Mum's like, I liked that song yeah. though, and, where and, she and, sings, Mother, were you watching? And she and... just drags her off cloud nine straight back to earth, going, we're, we're doomed, we're doomed. And no one's ever appreciated her, so you can imagine that the Phantom represents mm. everything to her. She's been second to Christine in everything. Yeah. Her mother in Phantom of the Opera clearly prefers Christine. Yeah. In the same way, the Phantom to, to the Phantom, Christine represents a normal life. Mm-hmm. She's everything that he'll never have, and he ideal he idolizes yeah. that. And it's one of the things when it's the Meg scene, of the Opera in this one. Yeah, in the scene earlier, where like right at the beginning, where Meg and Christine meet again. Meg keeps saying how beautiful Christine is, how like elevated she is, and how she looks so incredible. And it's all, oh, you're so beautiful, and you're so fabulous now, and you're so famous. And Christine's response is, "You look the same." Yeah. And <laughs> you're same and plain. Well, I think well, but Meg is beautiful. But I think Christine's point is, "Oh, you're still my friend. You're still the same person you were when we parted." Mm. And Meg has sort of put Christine up on the same pedestal that the Phantom has, which is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. We get your least favourite song, Tell Takes the Hindmost. Yep. I didn't like this either, just for the sentiment of both these men who love Christine more than anything. But don't love her. They're betting on her. Yeah. They're just dicks. Yeah. What was it the Phantom got out of it that he just gets Christine? The deal that they make is if Christine chooses to sing, they're both going to try and convince her. So to either leave or stay. Yeah, if Christine chooses to sing, Raoul will leave alone and Christine will stay with her son. But if Christine agrees with Raoul and chooses to leave... He'll pay off all the debts. He'll pay off all of their debts and they can all leave and that'll be it over with. Which is really underhand. Like, it just, it's but gross he, he betting knows, on knows, he knows that she won't. But it's just, it's gross for these men oh, yes, who love her so much. It's just And nobody awful. ever tells her about this bet either. No, I know. It's and then we get, so, <laughs> we get a nice scene between her and Gustav. It's established that beautiful is the only adjective Gustav knows. Yep. And then we get before the performance, and both men emotionally blackmail her. Yep. We do get the, the lovely shot, shot of the yeah. Phantom, which is then repeated when she's chosen, which I think is really cool. But again, it's it's only there because of the mirror in Phantom of the Opera. But this is another and point I felt we just... had music that was similar to the... Yeah, we talk about that too. But it's just another visible thing that makes it you look at it and it's just like oh okay this is just not as good and it's still a cool effect it's very very cool having all these mirrors and and the glass that changes from being an actual mirror to being completely see-through like it's all very very cool kudos to the set designer but everything is just so much smaller and more, more confined like the one thing i love about phantom of the opera is that Everything feels so exaggerated. But do you think that there's an element of this is the Parisian opera house yeah. to Coney Island, that everything goes downhill, and is that just the natural progression of an artist's life? Mm. I don't know. Perhaps he's... Only perhaps, Meg, apparently. Perhaps we are just missing the point here, and this is, this is like art Maybe, we're finest. just talking. There's similarities, but it's, it's almost like you're waiting for the greatest hits, and you get them, but in a really horrible manner. Yeah, we one... then come to my favourite note that I made. Christine... Can we? Can I say one thing before we get to your favourite note? Yeah. You can that. see why Ben Lewis has gone on to be the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. Because 
I really like his gait. I really like his posture. See, you, I knew you wrote that down, and I know you said it while we were watching it. Yeah. I disagree with you because I have, I enjoy, I like Ramin Karimli yeah. as the Phantom, and I, I've seen a couple of other Phantoms where they play him as almost softer, where he does the very, he stands very upright, he's very yeah. poised. And he makes himself very large and intimidating, but then he also has moments of being really, really soft and vulnerable. He Which, doesn't yes, do that in this. No, and I agree, but that's maybe just this, that's the script he's working with. But I don't and think it is. He had opportunities knows... to be a softer yeah. character. Even at the end, even spoilers, it. when Christine has died, he's still that upright, like, stiff character. He hasn't lost anything from his, like, uh, I just feel like there's a very nice kind of tentative, like, element of... I'm going to hold back a little bit. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I just, I thought it was nice. There's an element as well, it's a little unsettling. Yeah. And he's supposed to be the villain, he's this monster, and it's quite nice to be unsettled like that. Because no, no like one walks that way. That's fair. I did think his mask was better in this one. I, I talked about how I didn't like mm. the mask. I felt the mask was better. Yeah. Um, I did I... like his little jacket as well. I thought the costume for him was nice. It's not oh, his as, coat. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. It's not as cool as the first one, but I think it's good here it's a little but bit... it shows the difference yeah. because his his outfit in phantom is parisian and it's an opera cape yes and he's wearing uh like white tight and tails and that's something you would only wear to the opera yeah in this he's in a street coat yeah and essentially like it's really nice yeah it shows you the difference between where he is yeah so raul comes in and tries to convince Christine not to sing it works <laughs> and then he leaves and then the phantom comes in and is like here's some jewellery you're going to sing for me and she just agrees straight away because she'll do whatever she's told by any man Yep. and then she goes on stage <laughs> and sings the title song Love Never Dies and I wrote down I actually turned to you and said what is the name of the woman in Greatest Showman, who's supposed to be an opera singer. And we had to look it up, because neither of us particularly like Greatest Showman, but Jenny Lind in Greatest Showman is my biggest issue with that film. Yeah. Because she's supposed to be an opera singer, she gets up on stage and she sings this ballad that's a pop song, and it doesn't hit any operatic notes, and isn't good, and it happens again, in this film, and I was so mad. So mad. I did wonder if the PT in PT Barnum means fan Tom. Yeah, probably. Because it is... It's the same. This is oh. it. it very much feels like Greatest Showman has lifted this scene for the Jenny Lind moment. Yeah. I'm going to take a picture of what my notes look like at yeah. this point, because I literally half And we'll put it page. on Instagram and Twitter, at It's a Musical Pod. Plug. Um, literally half of my page is taken up with me writing, you're an opera singer. Now, sing some opera. So, you said Sierra Burgess mm -hmm. reprised this role yes. on London's West End. She was supposed to, and she did it in, on Broadway. She yeah. was supposed to come to London and then it got cancelled. Now, do you think her version of this song might hit those notes? No, this song doesn't call for it. It doesn't. There's no chance for her to do that. No. That's a real shame. It, it is a shame because this song would benefit from some sort of like high operatic note somewhere. So she's showing off. The whole point of Christine's journey in this film 
in is that or this show sorry is that she's come here to sing opera yeah and she even and says, educate the masses in coney island yeah well she even says that oh the phantom's written an aria for me to sing well he hasn't he's written you a pop song where you don't even get to show that you're an opera singer he could have got meg to sing this. see this is the thing i said to you is musically everything's different and maybe that is just a reflection of it's a different setting yeah but musically the first one was very operatic throughout this one mm. There was no opera. It's a very different style musical. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> I really like the the peacock backdrop. Oh yeah, that was cool. But it, I, I'll be honest. I looked. At it, I thought she sat on the Iron Throne. Yes. And then it just made me realise love never dies. It's just Game of Thrones for Christine. Yeah. That's all it is. So you said something when we watched Phantom of the Opera. When he writes Don Juan Triumphant. Yeah. You said. Is it supposed to be that people don't understand this music or is he really bad at writing opera? And I said, no, it's supposed to be that people don't understand. I've changed my mind. He's just really bad at writing opera because he wrote the song for her. Yeah. Clearly it's not opera. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's really boring. And she doesn't seem interested in singing it anyway, even though she's just been persuaded into it. So, yeah, I agree now. He's just bad at writing opera. He is. He thinks he's a genius and he's not. Somebody just didn't tell him no. No. Yeah, so he comes, she sings. she sings, and that means I've chosen the Phantom. Yeah. For reasons quite unknown, she's chosen the Phantom. Raoul leaves, and we get a throwback to the little Lottie reference from Phantom. Yeah, but you get the really nice switch here, where mm-hmm. the Phantom's in her room, and Raoul is looking at the mirror at it. Obviously, Ooh, he's yeah, not in the cool. mirror. I he's like obviously that. not in the mirror, but it's nice to show that they've swapped places. That's really good for the audience. Yeah. And then the ending just suddenly comes out of nowhere. And this is so rushed. Yeah, I don't know whether, like... Meg has stolen Gustav. Yeah. And they asked Madame Giri about it, and Madame Giri's like, oh, the last time I saw her, she was really upset. Maybe she kidnapped your son. And it's just kind of like, okay. And I do like that as they're searching for him, and obviously this shot only works because it's filmed and it wouldn't work the same way Mm -hmm. on the stage. The circus has gone from being really fun to terrifying. Yeah. And I think they've done a really good job of that. It's supposed to be the same way that, or I think it's clearly a reflection of Masquerade from the original one. Masquerade goes from being really fun and entertaining to a bit over the top and dramatic and scary. Because you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Anyway. And then, sure enough, we, we see that Gustav's dream has come to life. He's being... Meg is going to... Meg's going to drown him. Yeah. Although, um, so Meg is, Meg's plan is to kill herself. And the Phantom's uncharacteristically kind to her. Yeah. He's kinder to Meg in this moment than he's ever been to Christine. To Christine. He's never reached out to anyone that way. And the way he reprises the beauty underneath to her, yeah. it's like... He's like, I, I get understand it. you. I understand. I'm the one person. And Meg and he gives Gustav back yeah. and goes to get her. She's got a gun to her head and the gun comes down and suddenly shoots her. Oh no, she shot the phantom. No, the reason that she does it, she puts the gun down and it's all going to be fine. The phantom's about to take the gun off of her. And it's all very dramatic. Um, and then he says... Possibly the worst thing he could have chosen to say, which is, we can't all be Christine. And then she (sighs) jolts back to sort of reality or to her madness and she pulls the trigger. And you thought thought she shot the phantom. But she hasn't. It's gone past him. It's gone past him. And hit Christine. And literally, 
Christine has the worst timing. She tells Gustav, Oh yeah. You are you are not your dad's child, you are the Phantom's child. That's the worst timing. I'm sorry. You are about to die. and the Phantom Just leave it. But this is <laughs> this the point. Phantom says no. This yeah. isn't right. The Phantom I think when he's the God, voice of reason, you know, you know there's something wrong. really wrong. This is the thing. And um, my notes say that's a hell of a bombshell to drop. As you die, you won't be there to deal with the consequence of yeah. this. It, but he runs away. He does, like, no. And I wrote this. I did put no one sings like Gustav, runs from dad like Gustav. Amazing. I, I'm very pleased with that. Because um, he runs straight off. He does not like away. this revelation. But what he, he does gone, do, very helpfully. He's gone to get Raoul. He gets Raoul. Yeah. And he comes back. And by the time he gets back... Christine's dead. She doesn't look like she's been shot. She gets up to chase after him. She's like, I can get my son. Forgetting yeah, that she's Phantom, just been shot. I don't know whether it's that the actors or the actress playing Christine forgot that they're being so closely filmed. There's really no way for them to have yeah. her actually look like she's bleeding or she's been no, shot. It's, it's not like it's, it's stage on that. I can get with that. Yeah, her but reactions. There was just a moment where. She lifted her hand, sort of to reach out, and yeah. Ben Lewis grabs her hand and sort of slaps it back down onto her side yeah. where the wound is supposed to be, because he's clearly remembered. Oh my god, they're gonna see this. See, camera. I think I said this during Newsies. I can't remember which episode I said it for, but drama is not just acting; it's reacting. Yeah. And there's no reacting here. No, they don't care about each other at all. No, no, but even from the shot, she doesn't look like she's in pain. She, it really. Honestly, this should have been eponine. Yeah, it should have been Little Fall of Rain. It should have been that, and that is perfectly done. When I've seen it, the few times I've seen it, it's perfect, because the actress really sells it to you. Mm -hmm. There's none of that here. It was just, I was laughing. It was devoid of emotion, because she didn't react. She did this great death shudder, and then went completely still and sang for a bit. Yeah. And wasn't upset, really, at all. And... Okay, so Raoul comes back. Raoul comes back and just sort of sits by her body. We're not, we don't and see we what cut he does. away from him because he's not important and doesn't affect anything anymore. And we just, for the end of the show, and I'm sure when it's on stage, Christine's body and Raoul are behind where Gustav and the Phantom are, but they're just like slightly to stage left. Yeah, they're kind of up on the slot, they've kind of gone yeah. up on the docks. So they're out of the way. However, they're still on stage. You would still be able to see them if you were in the theatre yes. watching this. Because we're watching the filmed version of it, where they've tried to make it cinematic, we can just see Gustav and the Phantom and what they're doing. But the entire time I was just thinking, what's Raoul? Raoul's wife's just died. He's probably picking her up and taking her off somewhere. Well, if I, if, look, I give her to you for five minutes and look what happens. I've had her for ten years and this didn't happen. You've broken her, yeah. <laughs> what a refund. Pay off my gambling debts. It's yeah, it's really terrible. And then what are we supposed to take from that? That Raoul's just going to leave Gustav at the Phantom now? Yeah, it's like oh, that's Gu- your real dad. This is it. But Gustav, it's kind of a touching moment. Because, I don't know. It's supposed to be. He takes the mask off and he just accepts him. He doesn't recoil. And they go he head to head. His face. And they, yeah, yeah, he's touching the same way Christine did. And they go head to head, forehead to forehead, and that's it. And that's the end. Yeah. And and yeah, love apparently can die. Yes. So I'm going to talk about the music for a second. Yeah, go for it. This is already a longer episode than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. However, there are so many things throughout my notes where I've written down that there's inserts of pieces of music from the original. Now, I'm going to preface me talking about this with saying 
I am aware that this is a sequel. I know that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the music. He's obviously going to make callbacks mm -hmm. because it's a, it's supposed to lead on from it. And there are bound to be things where not putting in the music would be weirder than having a little reference. You want callbacks. I like yeah. hearing, you know, Rich Dattenborough say, spared no expense in Oswald. Yeah. I just like that one line being reprised. However, it's completely misused here. Yeah. Having the Phantom enter and not having, having as close as possible to his theme, but not, is a terrible way to introduce his character into this one. Yeah. Everybody knows that piece of music. Everybody associates it with the Phantom. Even if you have not seen Phantom of the Opera and you've gone to see Love Never Dies, which, why would you? I mean, like I said last week, I can tell you that bit of music. Yeah. It's iconic. That's Everyone what you need to know. Everyone knows that bit of music. Why not use it in that circumstance? Mm -hmm. Because we have... I'm just going to list the things that I wrote down, I think. So we've got Angel of Music is used over and over again. Yeah. We hear that theme resounded through underneath scenes and just weird little parts. The Phantom references himself as the Angel of Music a couple of times. Then we have the Phantom comes in and you think it's going to be Phantom of the Opera... I did, I'm clearly uneducated. But it's not. And they used three notes of that, uh, like, progression and then stop for no reason. Then it happens again. Once upon another time. Sounds exactly like All I Ask of You, the opening of it. And it starts with the same, like, gorgeous violin note. And then it's just bad. There's no reason for it. If you want to have him sing All I Ask of You, just put it in. Then we get a reprise of the opening part of Phantom of the Opera, not the epic guitar yeah. piano, but the part where he sings, he's like talk singing, dialogue singing is what I called it. Which, can I just point out what we're talking about? That This musical sounds more like a song time than yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber because of the talk singing mm -hmm. completely... Out, you know, irrelevant now, but whilst you're talking about that, there are so many times I felt like this is more Sweeney Todd yeah. than anything else. And, and I, very I get neat. that. Um, sorry to disturb. No, but... And, and I really like that piece of music because it's sinister and it's supposed to be him talking and telling you something that's going to make you uncomfortable, but, you know, it doesn't go anywhere in this one. Then we have things like the insert of... One of my favourite pieces of music from the original Phantom of the Opera, which is Prima Donna. But it's Prima Donna Reprise, which is the one that um, Raoul sings to Christine to convince her to be in Don Juan Triumphant. Yeah. So this is Prima Donna Reprise. So this is the Phantom sings it to her to convince her to be in the Phantom's play. No, no, it's it's... The Phantom has just come in... Raoul's come into her dressing room and said, please don't sing... And she says, okay, I won't, we'll leave. And she takes her earrings out because, you know. Yeah. And then the phantom comes in and says, you will sing for me. And she's like, okay, cool, I'll sing for you. Then he leaves. And then she looks up into the middle distance and we hear the song, the actual prima donna reprise from Phantom, like, with the correct lyrics, and it's Raoul sings, Christine, Christine, don't think that I don't care, but you're our only hope now, essentially. Yeah. And 
it just makes it really clear how much worse the song that Raoul has just sung is. Because he's just sung to her to try and convince her not to sing. And it's just not good. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's people who really love this musical and who think it's great. But every, at every instance, I just felt like it was showing how much worse it was than Phantom. My biggest issue is that at the end of every song, there seems to be, it was building, right? The, the music is building to what I assume will be a high note or some kind of belt at the end of a song. You said this a lot, yeah. And at the end of every song that I'm, I was waiting for it, they would drop their note and sing lower. It happened with Love Never Dies. It sounded like it was getting to the end and she was going to do the same as Think of Me, where she sings really, really high and hits that incredible note. And she dropped back to a middle voice to sing the last note. And The Phantom does it a couple of times. Raoul does it once. Christine does it constantly. Meg's the only person, I think, who actually hits a high note at the end of a song. And literally what I wrote down is, can no one in the show hit a high note at the end of the song or has Andrew Lloyd Webber actually written it this way? Like, is this... I haven't listened to a cast recording of this. Maybe Sierra Burgess does hit all these high yeah. notes. Maybe it's just this cast and they've written it that way, but I don't know. But it really is Something to bear in mind, and I've just read this very briefly in kind of looking at the feedback to, to this show. Mm. Andrew Lloyd Webber was, was ill with cancer during the writing, during the production of this initially. Perhaps his heart wasn't in it. Maybe, but... And perhaps musically it's that way for a reason. I don't know. It just seems like a really odd choice. It does. There's something that's very off with a lot of this. You know, we're kind of... When you have a sequel to anything, you want the greatest hits of it, of mm. things. Even with Indiana Jones and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it's the best example I can have, that you have moments where you feel like you're going to get the best of Indiana Jones... And it's a half-assed reference to something we had in the past. Yeah. That's what this is. This isn't um, The Last Crusade where it hits the high notes and excels. This is something that references them but just never hits the heights. Mm. None of the songs are, like, particularly memorable. No. Or catchy. I could understand completely if somebody else had done this as a sequel, if Andrew Lloyd Webber wasn't If he wasn't involved, yeah. I could completely understand the kind of skirting around the issue. Mm. But he is heavily involved. He do what he wants, it's his music. He's heavily involved. Why not have these beats? Are you trying to have it exist as its own thing too much so that you're forgetting this? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Out of interest, um, do you have a favourite song from this? I do. I was gonna. I was gonna say, ask you first of all, what was your favourite song? Who's your MVP? My my favourite song is the Beauty Underneath. I really okay. liked the kind of rock opera tone to it. I it's my favourite one. I yeah. actually could put that one on my Spotify and quite happily, mm. quite happily have that be the only song I ever listen to again from this. Mm. Um, I liked when I hear you sing once more. Yeah, and that the little refrain of that got sung over and over again and I thought it was the only thing in that show that was remotely original your least favourite song? all of them anything that's not when I hear you sing again anything that really stood out to you is the one that you really thought this is this is really bad or got most bored the devil hindsight that one at least moved the plot on 
for me, it was... I didn't even think it did. It was just two men bickering. But like, it establishes what the, the kind of their outcome... For me, it was bathing beauty. I, I didn't... I really was just like, yawn. Yeah. Yeah, but I think maybe that's the point of that. Yeah. MVP, who was your favourite actor, favourite... The little boy. Oh, yeah, Gustav. He was brilliant. That's why I put Gustav yeah. is, is brilliant. Um, he is current... He's now 18. And he, I think he's like yeah. 9 or 10 in that film. And he's brilliant. He was great. He was very good. I mean, he I, went on The Voice. Really? Mm. I um, Yeah, he was my MVP. My star rating for this one, I gave Phantom four stars. Yeah. What did you give Joseph? Because that, that was your lowest. Joseph is no longer my lowest. I will tell you that <laughs> here and now. That's, that's the basis. It is. Joseph, I gave, um, looking back through my notes, I gave, I believe, three stars. Um, yeah, Joseph. No, yeah, Joseph was two and a two half, and half stars. stars. Right. What's Phantom? Phantom's four stars. Right. Love Never Dies was one star. I can't believe you gave it a star. I gave it a star simply because I really liked the beauty underneath. Mm. It's so inconsequential, and the fact that this was due to have a UK revival tour, you know, in Manchester and Leicester of twenty twenty. Yeah. Honestly, surprising. Like, obviously, me. it's a shame because probably those actors were in a rehearsal for it and it's been cancelled because of the current climate. Yeah, like, but... don't get me wrong, I'm not wishing that this didn't happen because, you know, there, there's an audience for this. Yeah. This is the thing as well. I just want to say that we're not shaming the actors. No. Or the, even the set designers or no. the costume designers or anything. Don't they get me did wrong. a really good job. Yeah, they did. I don't like it's just it as much not... as others. Yeah. Like, and that's not their fault. The staging is very different. And there were moments that really shot. And I'm not going to fault the actors because they worked with what they had. Mm-hmm. I just don't think this was a necessary... I think the issue here really mm-hmm. lies in the fact that the songs... And again, this isn't a slight on Andrew Lloyd Webber or anyone involved in this production. Yeah. I have films I like, I have films I don't like. Mm-hmm. I have musicals I like and musicals I don't like, plays I like, books I like, TV shows I like, and I have TV shows I don't like. Once Upon a Time, season one to six are perfect. Season seven... I haven't seen enough of it. Too. Season seven should not exist, and that's the same as this. It yeah. doesn't change the fact that the people involved are still really creative and really talented. But leave well enough alone. The Phantom of the Opera was a great story. And like you said to me in Phantom of the Opera, this undoes a lot of that storytelling. Yeah. And it just wasn't necessary. It's you're not even like I sat and really enjoyed it. And that's not a fault on anyone involved. Ben Lewis won an award in Australia for Best Actor mm-hmm. for this. And I don't dispute, he was great as the Phantom. He wasn't as good as the Phantom that we saw before. No. But I do wonder, I would be very interested to see him as Phantom in Phantom of the yeah, Opera. So. Because he's got potential. I'd have loved to see this cast with Phantom. Yeah. And I do wonder who would be involved in the fan, in the Love Never Dies 2020 revival. Mm. I just don't think it's necessary. I think it's something that should be buried. There are musicals that just, they're not meant to be. Mm. I saw the Lord of the Rings musical in Covent Garden when it came out. I enjoyed it, but the world didn't. Yeah, no, that didn't do particularly well. And Spider-Man, Web of Shadows, I think it was, in Broadway by U2. Mm. That doesn't exist really anymore. Yeah, there's a Some lot of musicals. Some things just aren't meant to be. Yeah. And Love Never Dies 
is going to be a black mark on Andrew Lloyd Webber's CV, through no fault of his own, but I just think... It's a weird one. It's a weird one. Do you, out of interest, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you before we're done. Before we sign off. Do you know of any other Phantom of the Opera adaptations? Because there's one in, in particular that we are going to watch in the future. In terms of... Whether it's a parody in something else or a so reference somewhere. I have, I've, like I mentioned lot, um, in, in, when we watched um, Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. I know there's a whole American Dan episode yep. dedicated to Phantom of the Telethon. Telethon. I know that we have plans for a Halloween special, which I'm sure you're wanting me to kind of reference. That's that, what I'm going to talk about instead. Yeah. I know that this is a story that is very referenced, and I'm sure I have seen so many different TV shows or films that reference The Phantom somehow. You know, this is universal. I wonder if, if their dark universe had continued with The Phantom had become a character in it. Maybe. There's oh, a... wait. You say that? Yeah. On June 6, 2017, Alex Kurtzman announced that Phantom of the Opera was going to be a Alex film. Alex Kurtzman, as who, what else has he done? What else has he universe. done? I recognise that name. Uh, beside the point, there's also a film, an animated film called A Monster in Paris. Yep, that's on here. Um, I really liked that one. That was fun. Yeah, I did too. Um, that's based on the novel, though. Yeah, but it, it's very Phantom inspired. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one called Phantom of the Mall, which is in like the 80s. Does that have Robin Sparkles in? No, it doesn't. Damn, but that's it should. a shame. And then there's the movie that I'm talking about, or we're going to watch as a Halloween special, called Stage Fright. And it is a horror musical starring Meatloaf. Perfect. I'm and already here for that. It's set at a summer camp in America, and it's a musical theatre camp. And the musical that they do put on that year is called The Haunting of the Theatre. <laughs> because they are not allowed to use Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. But it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's... it's. I think parodies do more for Phantom of the Opera than this does, because mm-hmm. at least the parodies that I've seen have been lovingly crafted. Yeah. They're not taking the mickey out of the show, more so as just lovingly saying, look... This is an important show, this is an important story, because let us not forget, it's a story first and foremost, Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't create it. Yeah. However, you know, when Roger is the Phantom, he has his little keyboard that plays the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and this is the thing, the the haunting of the theatre is making fun of um, Phantom of the Opera, the musical, it's not supposed to be the book. So yeah, this is our first bonus episode, who knows what else we'll do bonus episodes of. Yep. It is the lowest rated on our yeah. on our spectrum. So I didn't what particularly think you were going to enjoy it. We didn't think we'd be seeing it though. You That's know, true. this is a fun kind of happenstance that here we are. The week we're due to launch our Phantom of the Opera episode, mm-hmm. Love Never Dies goes on YouTube. Yeah, so one so... star for Love Never Dies. And this episode is already a lot longer than we thought it was going to be. To be honest. So thank you for, for sticking with us if you got this far. Mm-hmm. Let us know your thoughts on Love Never Dies. Um, maybe you love it. Maybe it's your favourite musical. Please let me know. <laughs> maybe your love for this interested. story does not die. Yeah. But let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. You can message us via email at It's a Musical Pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Get involved in the conversation. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah. We will be back Monday with our latest episode, which will be on My Fair Lady. Yep. Very excited to see that. Mm-hmm. 
But until then, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for listening to Love Never Dies.